Let us uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we ask that you be with us as we come before you to hear from your word. Take what has been written and spoken by your son so many years ago and use it to shape our hearts and our souls and our minds and our actions. May we be compelled to do what you have called us to do and to follow the way of Jesus. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I've shared before that baseball is my sport of choice. It was my favorite sport to play and also my favorite sport to uh, watch, and, and it's just the best sport there is out there. I mean, golf's maybe a close second, but baseball's is the sport. Now, baseball is interesting because it has many great traditions. Now, if you've been following this year, the season started at the beginning, or I guess probably middle of July, and there's some traditions that they changed because of the shortened season. I mean, for one, the season's usually 162 games, and it's only 60 this year. So there's 100 games less. So now teams that have started off losing five out of the first 20 games are really in a position where they might in the future, I mean, or like in past years, they're like, oh, we have plenty of time to catch up. And there's been some other rule changes for the sport. But the thing about baseball is they don't just have great traditions that are positive. There's also traditions that are negative. And I think the biggest uh, notorious tradition for baseball that's not so good is that there's a tradition of cheating. And baseball, you know, has a checkered history of cheaters and dirty play. I mean, you think about the term spitball, which used to be a thing, and then they made it illegal to tamper with the ball. But that doesn't mean that pitchers, and you can see this even, you know, in every year a pitcher might get caught with a file or something in their glove. I remember one year that an umpire was going to check something out from a pitcher, and it looked like they threw something into the stands. So these pitchers still try to cheat today, even if they can't spit on the ball. They might try to do it other ways. And then there's a long history of things like corked bats to make the bats lighter. And players have always been trying to cheat. But, you know, if you've even watched baseball from a distance, you know that in the 1990s they stepped the cheating up when they began to take uh, performance-enhancing drugs, specifically steroids, and these players started to get really, really strong and they were able to hit the ball a lot further and this era in baseball became known as the juicing era, but it's also the era whenever we had Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa the summer when they were racing to uh, break the record for the most home runs in a season. And then, of course, Barry Bonds, who not only broke the number of home runs with 73, but he also has the most career home runs now. And all of these different accomplishments are shrouded in the question of, were these guys cheating? And for a lot of people, they thought that would be the worst era for baseball. But then you might have heard about their most recent cheating scandal that happened a couple years ago with the Houston Astros. So the Houston Astros had, at their home stadium, they had a camera set up in the outfield. And that camera had a live feed right to the bottom of their dugout. The dugouts go right into the clubhouse underneath the stadium. 
And right at the bottom of the stairs, they had people watching that camera and then looking at the, st- the signs from the pitcher and the catcher, from the catcher to the pitcher, and then they experimented with different ways to communicate the sign to players in the batter's box. But eventually they would uh, just bang a bat against a trash can. And like one bang was fastball, two bangs was off speed. And the Houston Astros won the World Series that year. And they had some players with some really, really crazy numbers. And now we all know why. It's because they were cheating. They had insider information. Major League Baseball has this culture almost of cheating. And it's like if you don't cheat, you're not going to get ahead. And the other team might be cheating. So you have to do what you can to get ahead. But life is also full of people like that too, right? It's not just sports. Life is full of people who are looking to cheat or people who are looking to lie or steal to get ahead. And really what this all comes down to, right, is deception. It's deceiving people to give them one impression of who you are while actually you're doing something different. Humans are good at deceiving others and they're also good at deceiving themselves. So I think if we we think about all this, we shouldn't be surprised that there's deception involved when it comes to following Jesus. Sometimes the people we think are followers might be deceiving us, and maybe they might be deceiving themselves. But is there a way for us to distinguish between genuine followers and deceivers? Now, it turns out there is, and that's what Jesus talks about in this section from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23. So we've gotten out of the one and two verse sermons, and uh, from here on out, they'll be nice and long to finish the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want again, if you have a Bible, or if you want to look on the screen, it'll be up there in a minute, it'll be up there. But as we look at this, we're going to see that it's not what we say, but what we do that matters. It's not what we say, but what we do that matters. So let's look, starting with verse 15. Remember, uh, as I've been saying the last couple weeks, chapter 7 is a little less connected than the rest of the verses, where Matthew seems to have taken some different teachings and put them together in a way that flows and communicates the kind of message that he wants to communicate. But it's all from teachings that Jesus has given because we have in the Gospel of Luke a lot of these same teachings but in different positions and different places. But what Matthew is pointing us towards is to take a look and see that it's not worth, it's not what we say but what we do that matters. So this is what he begins with in verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. Now the question, you know, we need to ask, well, is what is a false prophet? Well, what is maybe even a prophet? That might be a question you're having. So the Bible defines prophets in different ways, in the sense that there are different types of prophets and they fill different roles. But the prophet that is most important for us to talk about for this passage, and also the type of prophet you're most familiar with, and I think the only prophet that is genuinely recognized as a prophet are the prophets who receive a word from God and then they give it to the people they've been asked to give it to. And most specifically, usually, at least the way that it's presented in the biblical text and the Old Testament prophets, is the message is very direct. 
the prophet has very little influence over the message in the sense that they just bring it. And also, it tends to not be a positive message. But these are the types of prophets that the first century Jews would have been thinking about. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zephaniah, the different Old Testament prophets. Now the first century Jews knew about those prophets and they knew about people in their own current time who would tell people they were a prophet. But most Jews did not believe those people were actually prophets. So the first century Jews were aware that false prophets were out there. So Jesus saying this is not too much of a warning. It's a reminder. But a question you know, we need to ask is, well, are there still false prophets out in today's world? Now I think the answer is absolutely yes. Now we don't necessarily call them prophets. And I think this is what's important to grasp. The prophets in the first century were trying to speak for God because they were trying to, for one help the people of Israel think a certain way and call them to live a certain kind of life. But they also might have been trying to put forth one of their own agendas or ideas. And today, we have people doing the very same thing, but instead of calling them a prophet, we might call them a pastor, a speaker, an evangelist. We might call them a teacher. It's anyone who claims to teach the word of God and in some way speak for God. So we don't call these people prophets. But anyone, I think, who is in a position of leadership and is trying to lead people and say they are leading people on behalf of God as a Christian, anyone who is doing that could be considered a false prophet. But what do we do about false prophets? How do we recognize the good ones from the bad ones? Well, first, this is what Jesus warns us. He says, you can go ahead, Gavin. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So we do have to look hard because from the outside, these prophets will look just like us. They will talk like us. They'll use the same language as us. They'll maybe talk about having the same beliefs. But if we look closer, Gavin, we can go, you have to hit twice, I think. This is what Jesus says. He says, but by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down to thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus makes it simple. He says, look at their fruit and you'll be able to tell if they're an actual prophet or not. Just like we don't go to some sort of plant with bushes to get fruit. And what the really idea here is that fruit trees were very valuable and things like Thistles and thorn bushes were not valuable in the first century. You wouldn't go to something invaluable to get something valuable. You know where to go to get good fruit. In a bad tree or a, something that doesn't produce fruit isn't able to produce the fruit you want because it doesn't have the ability. 
So when we look at these false prophets, we'll be able to tell them by their fruit. But what is fruit? Now this is a question that some people wonder about, and there's different answers. But I think when we actually look at this passage, as in what is said before and what's going to be said right after this, we can say that the fruit is about following the way of Jesus, as I like to say it, or being obedient to the commandments of God. Or put even more plainly, living the way that God has asked you to live. Because remember, back to the garden, he said, this is how I made you. This is how you can flourish. Humans chose what they thought was good. God said, no, this is what's good. If we're over here doing what God has asked us to do and live the way that he said is good, then we are going to produce good fruit. It's not about what we say, but what we do that matters. And what people do matters It doesn't matter what they say. If their life doesn't show their fruit, then I think we need to walk away and be very cautious that they might be deceiving us as false prophets. So there are people who deceive us as false prophets. But there's another category that Jesus talks about. Now these group of people, I think it's even more, it's scarier because... Sometimes it's not about what other people do, but what you might say to yourself. Continuing with verse 21, let's take a look. This is what Jesus continues. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You can leave it right there, Gavin, for a minute. So now Jesus goes from people who teach and lead, and he talks about people who follow. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what Jesus is saying is not everyone who thinks they're following him is actually following him. And they're not all a part of his kingdom. Now, I think something that needs to be said about this, for years and years in American Christianity, we've called evangelism the idea of inviting someone to say a sinner's prayer. And when they do this, you know, you repent of your sins and then the the language I always heard is you ask Jesus into your heart. But, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong that churches have done that. That's how I experienced being asked or being encouraged to become a Christian at a young age. But now the problem with when we do it that way is there are people who because they said a prayer whenever they were a child, they believe that they are good to go doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter if they go to church, if they try to live the way Jesus has asked them to live, none of that matters. Because all they have to do is say the right words. But now I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, look, it doesn't matter necessarily what you say. And then this is what he says instead. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... So the ones who say, Lord, Lord, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father. So Jesus is saying, look, it's about being obedient to God. It's about following the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God. It's not what we say, but what we do that matters. So again, there's nothing wrong with saying the sinner's prayer. 
That's the way that, I, like I said, I was taught, and that's what many of you might have experienced. But the prayer is the beginning of a certain type of life. It's not what you say, but what you do that matters. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 22, and he says this. He says, But many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So just because people say great things, and look, this is where it gets hard, because they can even do great things. But just because those things happen doesn't mean that they're actually following Jesus. Because they didn't live the way of Jesus. So in the end, Jesus says, I'll turn them away. Now this is terrifying, I think. And it's okay to admit that. I mean, how can we be sure that we're actually doing what we're supposed to do? Now, I'm never going to ever say we can be sure 100%. But remember, it's not what we say, but what we do that matters. And what is it we're called to do? We're called to live the way of Jesus. So how do we live the way of Jesus? Well, we think about the whole Sermon on the Mount. But I again come back to those verses that we said at the very beginning of the service. What I call, or what Scott McKnight calls, the Jesus Creed. Love God and love others. That's how we live the way of Jesus. And then we think about, a couple weeks ago, the golden rule. Treat others as you wish to be treated. We need to live the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's not what we say, but what we do that matters. So not only are there false prophets out there, but we can deceive ourselves if we're not careful. We've always got to be on guard. Are we trying to say the right things, or are we doing the right things? Now, this is where it gets also challenging, but something I think we need to think about. You can say the right thing in your actions. Now, what I mean by that is that you can... Do the types of things that say to the people around you, look at me, I'm a Christian. And those kinds of things, you know, might be speaking the right way, you know, looking the right way. For some people in our country, it means that you vote the right way or support the right political candidates. It means that maybe you're in worship services every Sunday. It means that you're always offering your gifts to the church and you're willing to serve in positions of leadership. Now all of those things can say, look, I'm doing what makes me a Christian. Now all of those things are things we should do. Well, I mean, a lot of them. I'm not saying that everything in that list is something we should do. But yet definitely being at church Praying, participating, supporting the church in its ministry. All of those things are things that Christians should do. But remember that it's not what we say, but what we do that matters. And what we need to do is love God and love our neighbor. We need to be humble, meek, and loving. We need to live the Sermon on the Mount. We need to treat others like we wish to be treated. If we do this and if we watch out for false prophets who are looking to deceive us, 
And if we check their work and see if they're actually living the way of Jesus and what they do in their lives, we'll be okay. In our own life and in the life of people who we listen to. Now, certain pastors who preach sermons like this, and I've seen these on the internet, will actually tell you the types of people that you shouldn't listen to. Um, now, I have a list of those kinds of people in my head that I'm happy to talk about. I'm not going to stand up here and say that at this point. But just know that a lot of the people who make money, and believe it or not, there's a lot of money to be made in selling Christian books and selling different types of Christian curriculum in speaking at big events, at having a large following on social media. There's a lot of money to be made there. And, you know, and usually those people have big followings for a reason. They're good at telling people what they want to hear. And I think we always just need to be on guard and consider what they might actually be saying. Because it's not what we say, but what we do that matters. So my call to all of us is, let's do the right thing. Let's follow the way of Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we ask that you be with us. And that we ask that you'd help us to discern the types of people who we listen to, who speak in our, to our lives. Whether it's authors that we enjoy, or different um, radio or television programs, or if people listen to podcasts. There's tons and tons of people out there teaching and claiming to speak for you, God. And may we be cautious in who we follow. And remember that there's people out to deceive. We also, Lord, ask that you be with all of us as we look at our own lives. May we be able to take a long, honest look at the way that we live. And may we be willing to ask, you know, am I one of those people who thinks they're on the way of Jesus, but really I've deceived myself? Lord, it's never too late for us to get on the path that's narrow with your help and with your son's guidance. So Lord, we ask that you continue to guide us. May your Holy Spirit live, that lives in us continue to pull us in the direction we need to go. May we be shaped into the type of people who live the way of Jesus and love others and treat others as we wish to be treated. And may we strive to live as you've called us to live. And Heavenly Father, we ask this on your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.